0: You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. Well, this is a special service for us as a church family this morning. Because following the sermon, we have the privilege of installing Alec Eisenberg to the office of elder here at Roots Community Church. That means that starting today, you will no longer have two elders or pastors. You will have three elders or pastors. This is a very big day for us as a church family. But before we move into the installation, um, I want to offer a sermon this morning from Acts chapter 20. On the character and the call of a pastor. Before we move into the installation, I want to offer a sermon from Acts chapter 20 on the character and the call of a pastor. And underneath those two headings, there are four points I want to make. First, the character of a pastor, the suffering of a pastor, the vigilance of a pastor, and the joy of a pastor. The character, suffering vigilance and joy of a pastor a sermon like this is important not only because we're installing a new pastor here at the church but a sermon like this is important because pastors directly impact the spiritual well-being of the congregation healthy pastors lead healthy churches It has a direct impact, the health and the vitality of your elder team has a direct impact on the health and vitality of the members of the church. Therefore, it is imperative that the congregation um, know the character and the calling of a pastor, the calling of a pastor, and pray for us diligently. Yes, I am soliciting prayers, even for myself, this very moment that they, that we might finish our course in ministry well. Their flourishing in this role directly impacts the health and flourishing of the church. So the first point or first heading this morning is the character of a pastor. The character of a pastor. Look at verses 17 and following with me. Paul records and re- recollects from his own ministry. He says, Now from Miletus, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. To come to him. Now, elders and pastors and overseers are all synonymous terms that are referring to the same office, the same role in the church. So, an elder is a pastor, a pastor is an elder, and so forth. And so, Paul calls for the Ephesian elders, the pastors that were tasked to shepherd the flock of God there at Ephesus, and he calls them to him. And when they came to him, verse 18, he, Paul, said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you. You know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord. Now listen to the characteristics, the character qualities, serving the Lord with all humility, And with tears and trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul most certainly is pastoring pastors In this address, it's reflective of the vocation that they share. And therefore his address to pastors is both tender hearted because he knows how hard it is, but it's also very urgent and direct. He's pastoring pastors and regarding his past labor among them, Paul in verses 17 to 21 draws their attention to three pillars that characterize a minister of the gospel. Three pillars that characterize a minister of the gospel. First, he draws their attention to humility. Then he draws their attention to courage. And then he draws their attention to impartiality. Three pillars that characterize a pastor, humility, courage, and impartiality. These are essential characteristics of the minister of the gospel. First, humility. Look at verse 18 again. He says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set in f- foot in Asia. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility. The first pillar, the first pillar, the first characteristic of a pastor is that this must be a man who is permeated with humility. Humility in Paul's mind is the soil from which all Christian virtue grows. That is true of the pastor, and that is true of every Christian. Humility is the soil from which all Christian virtues grow. Without humility, you don't have any of it. Christians, or rather, second only to Christ, Paul talks about humility the most in the New Testament. In Philippians 2, verse 3, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. To, to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul goes on to say, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. Humility, again, is the soil from which all Christian virtue grows. And therefore, humility must permeate the heart of the minister of the gospel. It's as if Paul here in this context is saying to these Ephesian elders, it's as if he's saying to them, brothers, I want you to think rightly of yourselves. That's where humility comes. It's to think rightly of oneself. Paul is saying to the Ephesian elders, Christianity, brothers, and the spread of the gospel is much bigger than you. In fact, it's not about you. The message of Christ and him crucified is holy ground. Be humble. Think rightly of your calling, dear brothers. You are messengers. You're not it. You're a conduit of God's grace. You come proclaiming the fame of another. Be be humble. And the humility that Paul speaks of, listen, this is so urgent that all Christians understand this. The humility that Paul speaks of throughout the New Testament can only be brought about through a radical awareness of God's immeasurable grace grace, the mercy of God for sinners has to metabolize through your system in order for humility to even have a chance. You won't get there through obedience. You won't get there through law keeping. You only get gospel humility when the grace of God metabolizes through your system. Lloyd-Jones writes this. He says, for the Christian... Grace is at the beginning and grace is at the end so that when you and I come to lie upon our deathbeds, the one thing that should comfort and help and strengthen us there is the thing that helped us in the beginning. Not what we have been, not what we have done, but the grace of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lloyd-Jones says the Christian life starts with grace. It must continue with grace and it ends with grace. Grace, wondrous grace. How do you get humility? Not by focusing on humility. You become very prideful in your pursuit of humility but standing under the waterfall of God's grace. So that's the first characteristic we see, the first pillar that we see in this text. A pastor must be a humble man. The second characteristic of a pastor is strangely related to the first, courage, The second characteristic is strangely related to humility, and that is courage. True humility, listen, produces courage. True humility produces courage. Notice with me again, continue in verse 19 in Acts 20. Paul says, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And look at verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring. I didn't shrink, I didn't flinch. I didn't cower under the pressure. I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Beloved friends, there is a amazing relationship between humility and courage. A truly courageous man or woman is one who has been greatly humbled By the grace of God. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, he said, Very likely, he said, Very likely, the most humble man in the world won't bend to anyone. Very likely, the most humble man in the world won't bend to anyone. And then he recalls the ministry of John Knox. He says, Spurgeon writes, John Knox was a truly humble man, yet, If you had seen him march before Queen Mary, Bloody Mary, who was killing Christians, if he had seen him march before Queen Mary with the Bible in his hand to reprove her, you would have rashly said, what a proud man. Spurgeon says, no, no, cringing men that bow before everybody are truly proud men. But humble men are those who think themselves so little that they do not think it worthwhile to stoop to serve themselves. In other words, a truly humble person is not looking to protect their own interests, but always looking to protect the interests of others. A truly humble person is a courageous person, is an advocate for others. So Paul says to the Ephesian elders here in Acts 20, I didn't shrink back. I taught you in private and I taught you in public. Though my life was in danger at every twist and every turn, I gave you all that I knew to be profitable in life and ministry. Paul is an example of courage, courage that is wrought and brought about through humility. So humility and courage. The third pillar, the third characteristic of a pastor that Paul highlights is impartiality. A pastor must be impartial. Look at verse 20 again. He says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Notice verse 21, testifying both to Jews and, and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That might hit us in the 21st century is no big deal. i partial with Paul talking to Jews and Greeks. Well, there's a massive cultural divide, socioeconomic cultural bloodline divide between Jews and Greeks. And so what Paul is saying by way of impartiality is saying a minister of the gospel must not choose who his audience is based on the wind of culture during the day. Based on who is prized in culture and who is not, a minister of the gospel is to be impartial, full stop. Paul wants these Ephesian elders to have firmly fixed in their hearts that God is the God of all creation. Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, rich or poor, black or white. God shows no partiality and therefore his ministers must not show partiality either. No special treatment based on race or social status. No treatment for Jews and a different treatment for Greeks all come to the table of God's amazing grace. The rich do not get more care than the poor. The church, as you've often heard me say, the church must not become a country club where it becomes very easy to see, particularly in a, a setting like this. This feels very country clubbish to me. Like, I'm not loving that. But the space doesn't dictate. It's a mindset. It's a worldview. It's a, it's a disposition of the heart. We must not become a place where we know where the, the haves and the haves nots are. Instead, this must be a place. This must be a distinct place. In all the world, the church must be the one place you go, and that that is not seen or felt. The church must be the one place where there is just equal level. They all come to the table of God's amazing grace. May it be so. Every human being carries a God-given dignity and therefore ministers of the gospel must not fall into the trap of prejudice or partiality. Paul says, I testified to the grace of God, both to the Jew and to the Greek, and my life was on the line at every turn. So then a pastor is one who is humble, courageous, and impartial. It is the character of, of a pastor, the character of a pastor. Second, lest you think it's all fun and games, Paul highlights the suffering of a minister of the gospel, the suffering of a pastor. Look at verses 22 and following. And by the way, we've talked about this at length with Al, so he's not hearing this for the first time. Like, wait, wait, sus- suffering of a pastor? wish I would have known about that a couple of weeks ago. No, the suffering of a pastor, verse 22. Paul says, and now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions Await me. Notice with me briefly that the Holy Spirit is both constraining Paul, compelling Paul to go to Jerusalem, while at the same time the Holy Spirit is testifying to Paul that affliction and pain and suffering awaits him there. The Holy Spirit is saying, Go. And by the way, when you get there, this is what's coming. So Paul, why are you going to Jerusalem? Answer, because the Holy Spirit is compelling me to go to Jerusalem. But I thought you just said that the Holy Spirit told you that imprisonment and affliction await you there. Yes. So are you going? Yes. Now why, the question is, why would the Holy Spirit warn of judgment and at the same time compel the journey? Answer, so Paul would be absolutely convinced, and every minister of the gospel, and every Christian for that matter, Paul would be convinced that God was in control and ordaining the whole thing, even the suffering. Or perhaps especially the suffering. Brothers and sisters in Christ, who do you want to be in control at your lowest moments in life? Circumstances? Satan? You? I don't want any of them on my team when I'm suffering. I want a God who is utterly sovereign. So yes, the Holy Spirit is constraining Paul to go and the Holy Spirit is testifying that Paul, you will suffer. There is great suffering in ministry. The only true comfort in the pains of ministry is the nearness of God to the minister. To be a minister of the gospel is the greatest privilege of one's life. And it must not be pursued by those seeking ease or comfort. Affliction is promised. You will have your heart broken a thousand times. Furthermore, gospel ministry, unlike anything else I've ever experienced, will make you aware of your weaknesses and brokenness. While at the same time, you're called to minister to others in their weakness and brokenness. Our only encouragement is that, in that is that according to Paul the apostle, weakness is a very strange and peculiar door into the strength of God. That's that's my only encouragement as a pastor. It's because when I am weak, then I am strong. By the way, that is your greatest encouragement as a Christian, because you are going into or in or out of a season of weakness or brokenness. That is your greatest encouragement as well. When we are weak, then we are strong. And as I've told Al and Hans, as he was going through his candidacy and so forth, you just, as a pastor, you just have your nose rubbed in it. <laughs> like a lot. Your own weakness and the weaknesses. So you're just, your nose is rubbed in. You're just reminded of weakness and brokenness. That's why i have jokes for you every Sunday. <laughs> Yet, if if God... If God is with the pastor, and if God is for the pastor, that is enough for the pastor to persevere in joy. But how did Paul do it? That's the question. How did did Paul do it in the face of heartache and suffering? How did Paul maintain faithfulness in gospel ministry? How did Paul maintain faithfulness in the face of such suffering? Look at verse 24. Paul says, one of the most remarkable things you'll hear. He says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. How many times have you ever heard another human say that? I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. Paul had a very peculiar anthropology He was sold out to the glory of God and the joy of the church. So much so that it eclipsed his own self-worth. I've shared this to you before, shared this with you before. James Calvert was a young pioneer missionary in the 19th century and he went to the cannibals of the Fiji Islands. You may remember this story. He's on his way to the cannibals on the Fiji islands to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to them and with them and to live among them. And the ship captain who is driving or or sailing them to the island is trying to persuade James Calvert and the rest of the missionaries not to go. Don't go there. When people go there, they get eaten, they die. And so the ship captain is saying, Over and over, let me just. How about a different island? (laughs) On our way, there's a really nice stop. How about this island? And finally, the, the ship captain cries out in desperation You will lose your life and the life of those with you if you go among such savages. And Calvert calmly replied to him Don't you understand? We died before we came. We died before we got on this ship. Paul says to the Ephesian elders, I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself. I'm going to die for this thing. Heaven and hell is in the balances. Paul would say to the Galatians, the whole church, you and I included, he says, I have been crucified. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Operating at the very core of the apostle is a deep conviction that he already died. And so what can man do to somebody who's already dead? Can't do anything. You become a very dangerous and peculiar human being if you walk around planet earth thinking you've already died. And the life he now lives is a minister of the gospel despite indescribable suffering. Paul lived by faith. Therefore, his ambition was to finish his course in ministry. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. On the path of obedience, Alec, Hans, myself, pastors, brother pastors, there will be suffering. And according to Paul the apostle, it is totally worth it. So we've discovered the character of a pastor, the suffering of a pastor. Now the vigilance of a pastor. Notice with me verses 28 and following. I'm sorry about the sound here. I don't know what it is. Maybe this stupid coat. So let's just do this. Thought I was cool in that thing. That's what I get. The character of a pastor, the suffering of a pastor, and now the vigilance of a pastor. Verse 28. Notice, Paul says, pay careful attention. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer, to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Same word in the Greek, be vigilant. Remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. What a sobering and urgent exhortation for pastors. First, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Notice that comes before you pay careful attention to the flock. Before the pastor is to maintain vigilance over the flock, he is to maintain vigilance over his own heart. The greatest obstacle in my own ministry is not wayward sheep. The greatest obstacle in my ministry is my wayward heart. My wandering affections. Oh God, would you crucify them again and again? Paul would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4:16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in, the, in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's remarkable. Paul doesn't want the Ephesian pastors' elders to unpreach with their lives what they have just preached with their lips. Keep a close watch on yourselves, your conducts, your heart, your affections, your thinking. Not only will your own soul begin to wither if you try to separate doctrine and duty not only will your own soul begin to wither, but those whom you are leading will wither as well. So the first vigilance of a pastor is self vigilance. Keep a close watch on yourself. Paul continues, once you are keeping a careful watch on yourself, verse 28 again, keep a careful watch on all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. Who makes pastors? The Holy Spirit. Who does ordination? The Holy Spirit. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Paul aims to motivate the elders care for the flock first by saying it's the Holy Spirit that called you to this. You didn't achieve something pastorate is not something you achieve by getting a degree and going through an internship, then a candidacy, then some doctrinal grilling and taking a test. You, you, don't, you don't become a pastor by achieving anything. It's a calling, and it's a calling by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, if you think it's cool, just refer to last point. It's also called to suffer, so it's not that great. But you're called by the Holy Spirit. And he seeks to motivate the elders care for the flock by drawing their attention to how much the sheep cost. The Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. And by the way, I want you to know how much they cost. Notice he says to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. My goodness. Pastoral ministry is not a game. This is not a game. Ordained by the Holy Spirit, the pastor is called to care for the blood-bought bride of Christ, the elect of God, the precious ones who are made holy through the blood of the lamb, the living stones, the one who will judge angels in the age to come. What a task. A task too high for us. And so Paul says, keep a careful watch on all the flock of God. Finally, Paul exhorts the elders in verses 29 and 30. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So the pastor is to guard from without and the pastor is to guard from within. There are fierce wolves that will come in and there are men from among you that'll twist up words and draw God's people to themselves. When I was in school and I was thinking about pastoring, I just honestly did not think that this would ever happen to me. Like I just, I had came in with, Pollyannish, you know, yeah, for other churches, other churches deal with that kind of stuff. Other churches have wolves that try to get in. Other churches have people that twist words. No, nope. Every true church is going to battle this. And every pastor must be vigilant, both from within and from without Satan is prowling. He loves to disrupt and divide all that's going on in this space. And so we must not be naive to think that this will happen to us, as Spurgeon remarks again, only as Spurgeon can. Pastors need to be tender with the sheep and at the same time able to kick wolves in the teeth. And not all wolves look like wolves. That was another thing. (laughs) You think they look like wolves and you're like, oh, wolf. You know, let's keep our eyes on him. No, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. So they look like what? Sheep, some of them real cute and cuddly. Some of them tithers, some of them servants, some of them members in the band, some of them always there, always there, but underneath, my goodness. The point is given the cost of the sheep, that's the point. Given the cost of the sheep, that's why this just can't be a job, right? Right? If this were just a job, I would have pieced out a long time ago. I just, full disclosure. I tell Malia often, like, I would love to del- like deliver bread, like be the deliver bread delivery guy or the guy like these carpets. When I was working at Thompson's, we had these carpets like this here that had our Thompson bill material logo on it. And there was a guy probably named Jim or Mike, you know, would come in Morning, Jim. And he would just drop off a fresh carpet. A carpet guy, right, Todd? It's just like you, nobody is bummed at a clean carpet. So like just to be the carpet delivery guy, like that's the job I would do. If this were a, just a job, no way, no way, no how. But there's a calling and there's the cost of the sheep. And so Paul says to the elders, be watchful, be vigilant against all that would threaten the flock, your own heart, wolves, people twisting things be watchful be vigilant so we've learned about the character the suffering and the vigilance of the pastor finally i just want to conclude our time with a word on the joy of a pastor and i realize this isn't directly from acts 20 i'm i'm kind of breaking some preaching rules here but this is certainly connected to paul's example in ministry i want to i want to highlight the joy of a pastor the joy. If you and I, brother pastors, try and source our supreme joy in the work of a pastor, we will dry up and quit. If we try to source our joy in the work of a pastor, we will dry up and quit. No, the greatest gift of the gospel is not gospel work, as privileged as it is. I feel so privileged to be one of your elders. The greatest gift of the gospel, however, is not gospel work. The greatest gift of the gospel is not sharing Jesus with others, as privileged as that is for all to do, pastors or not. It is a privilege to share Jesus with others, but that's not the greatest gift of the gospel. No, the greatest gift of the gospel is God Himself. The joy of a pastor comes to them the same way it comes to all who are in Christ through delight in God Himself. So, lest for a moment you think that clergy, people of the cloth, ordained ministers of the gospel have found a secret key that's to a secret box, but you got to find the secret hill and you ascend that secret hill to find joy. You're wrong. The same way every Christian, those who are in Christ, find joy is to find and source that joy in God alone. He's the greatest gift of the gospel. And he's the minister's joy. Jonathan Edwards writes, he says, one new discovery, I love this quote, one new discovery of the glory of Christ's face and the fountain of his sweet grace and love will do more towards scattering clouds of darkness and doubting in one minute than examining old experiences by the best mark we can give even a whole year. Edwards is, is saying, savoring the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is better than a year. One minute savoring the glory of the face of Jesus Christ is better than a whole year of reminiscing about the good old days. Remember when we used to? <laughs> That's fun, but one minute of savoring the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ has a way of animating the heart. Causing joy to spring. And as David writes, this was our psalm and our call to worship. Those who look to him, pastors, all, those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. The joy of the pastor comes by delighting in the God of the gospel. So the character, the suffering, the vigilance and the joy of a pastor. Will you commit to praying for your under shepherds as we seek to feed God's word to God's people? Lord willing for 30, 40 more years.